Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. Today we are diving into part two, week two, of our series, Unreasonable Doubt. Last week I explained to you how reasonable doubt is the highest standard of proof used in court and that it has the ability to control the verdict. In life, many people will allow doubt to control the outcome of their situation. According to the current evidence that life is presenting, they come to the conclusion that there is no positive conclusion, and so they have reasonable doubt that life is is going to be okay. But as I showed you last week, our doubt is often unreasonable. God is faithful. God's track record speaks for itself. And so Satan, he attacks your life because he wants your faith. If he can rip your faith out of you, then he has succeeded. Because he knows that Hebrews 11 and 6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so when we want to please God, then we have to have faith. The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things that are not seen. So to have faith in something, you cannot see it. There are four types of doubt that we are looking at. Last week we looked at disappointed doubt. Today we're going to look at double-minded doubt. Next week will be dignified doubt. And then the final week of this will be distracted doubt. Those of you in the room that have children past the age of adolescence, you understand that there are potential moments where your children will begin to question what they believe, which is ultimately what you believe because you've instilled your belief system into them. And so there are those moments where sometimes they begin thinking for themselves and it seems like it can be a little dangerous sometimes. Take for instance that disillusioned moment that some of you have had to experience when your child reasons in their mind and they determine that they don't want to hold the same values that you do. And it breaks my heart for some of you because it goes something like this. Mom, Dad, I don't want to be a Gator fan. I want to be a Knoll. Or or, or maybe it's, I want to be a dog. I want to be a cane. I want to be a tiger. I want to be an elephant because nobody knows what a tide is, but that's what we're going to do. And it breaks our hearts because we know that God has so much more in store for them if they would just adhere to the Florida way. But instead, they are choosing to doubt his will for their lives. I recognize this in my own home, and I recognize the need that I had to lay down some some ground rules whenever Caleb started liking basketball. Um, Being a, a Boston Celtics fan for most of my life, go ahead, we'll take a moment there. I don't have much time. I don't have much time to preach, but that's worthy. Go ahead. That's fine. Um, Being a Celtics fan, I knew that there were two teams that Caleb could not cheer for. The Los Angeles Lakers and the Detroit Pistons. 
Because if you know anything about those teams and their history, you'll know that there's rivalry with both teams. And so pretty much I told Caleb, you have 28 other teams that you can pick from, but it will not be one of those two teams. You cannot be a Laker fan or a Piston fan. There's no other way. And so Caleb, by the grace of God, thankfully, he still likes the Celtics. Uh, yeah. And he does have this second team that he gravitates to, and they're called the OKC Thunder. And I'm okay with that because they're never going to win a championship, so we're all right. We're all right. <laughs> there comes this point in time when children will begin to think for themselves. And, and, and mom and dad believe in God, and they've raised their children to trust in the name of Jesus. But if that child does begin to think and their mind begins to wonder, they may ask you questions like this. Is the Bible true? Is God even real? And when you hear those questions, they frighten you. As, as a God-fearing, Bible-believing parent, they will frighten you. And so at that moment, you, you have no other choice. You just buckle up and hope that you've put enough faith in them that they do not stray too far from knowing what the truth is. That when they finally get all that worked out in their head, that they come out on the other side trusting that Jesus Christ is Lord. And whether you admit it or not, you, you've doubted before also. I said whether you admit it or not, you've doubted before also. Some of you, 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 on your way to church this morning, you were questioning whether or not God is real simply because of, of the situation that you're going through. And, and you're in good company because I've been there. I've been there. And to be honest with, with myself, to be honest with my children, I'll tell you, I have been there at times. And so if you have ever believed one day and then you doubted the next day, I want you to know you're in good company today. Whether the person next to you admits it or not, they've been there before. And this is how faith is birthed, because somewhere in the middle of your doubt, when, when you just don't have an ounce of belief in you, somewhere in the middle of all that, you come to the realization that you must, say must, you must believe in a loving and faithful God. And that's where faith is birthed. Sometimes the greatest faith is birthed out of the greatest adversity, the greatest trial. Proverbs 3 and 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You see, our own understanding is what causes us to doubt. If we did not rely on our own understanding, we would never have any doubt. But just like that, that, that child that begins to grow and begins to think on their own, it's when we lean on our own understanding that doubt begins to creep in. But when we learn to trust in the Lord, all of a sudden the crooked paths become straight. When we learn to trust in God, our reasoning from point A to point B becomes straight. But whenever we don't trust in God and we lean on our own understanding, the reasoning from point A to point B is a crooked path. And it takes you much longer to get to the truth. And so when we learn just to not lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge Him and to trust Him in all of our ways, when we do that, then we are getting to the truth a whole lot quicker. Today, I want us to look at a man that, that wavered in his faith. And it's okay. It's okay if you're here today and you waver in your faith. You know, in this moment, you believe. Right now, sitting at Destiny Community Church, you believe. But tomorrow morning, when you're stuck in traffic, all of a sudden, you don't believe anymore. And so, we're going to look at this guy. 
And, and it gives us great hope because Christ chose him as one of the 12 disciples that would follow him. And some days he believed, but there are other times when he struggled with his belief, and his name is Thomas. Jesus brought him along, and, and Thomas witnessed Christ do some of the most amazing things. He, he was able to witness Christ performing miracles, changing people's lives. The lame walking, the blind seeing, the deaf beginning to hear. He was able to witness this firsthand. He saw this. So Thomas believed in Jesus. He believed in Jesus enough to drop everything that he was doing and follow him for three years. That's how much he believed in Jesus. But even though Thomas believed, there were still moments of skepticism that lured in the background because Thomas was this guy that the, the, glass, the, the glass was kind of half empty. That's how he looked at life most of the time. In John chapter 11, Jesus told his disciples that they needed to go with him back to Judea because Lazarus was sick. And the disciples, they protested. They were like, Lord, no, we, we don't need to go back there. Don't you remember that there's Jews there that they want to kill you? They want to stone you. And so we don't need to go back there. And they tried to persuade Jesus not to go. And in the middle of that, that, that moment, Thomas speaks up and, and he says what I believe is one of the most sarcastic statements in all the Bible. You may read it different, but, but um, I read the English Standard Version. So in this English Standard Version, it reads to me like it's kind of sarcastic. Okay, maybe not. And you didn't get that at all. But let's just keep going. And, and he says these words. He, he looks at the other disciples and he says this. He's like, well... Let us also go that we may die with him. Okay, maybe that's my emphasis put on the sarcasm there. But this was either sarcasm or it's this faith, faithless statement of martyrdom. You figure it out. I don't know. Either one I, I think is incorrect. But, but, but he says these words, let us also go that we may die with him. Job kind of said it like this in his moment of, of martyrdom. He said, he said, though he slay me, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. And, and, and those are bold words, and, and they're great and everything, but, but, but in the circumstance, when you say something like that, you have very little faith of the outcome. You trust God, but you don't. Okay, I'm the only one in here today that has ever felt like that. I mean, I, listen, I know all the Christian lingo. I know how to say things that I'm supposed to say. And so we say things like, oh, well, if the Lord is willing. <laughs> Except in the South, we say, the Lord willing. You know, that's how we say it. And it's not faith speaking at all. And so we, we trust God, but we don't trust God. And then you get to John chapter 14, and Jesus tries to prepare his disciples for his arrest and his crucifixion. And Jesus says these words to his disciples. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am you know the way to the place where I'm going. Now listen to what Jesus said. He said, you know how to get there. You know the way to the place where I'm going. And without hesitation, Thomas says these words. Lord, 
We don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus just kind of laid it all out there. I mean, he gave this big spill about, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in my father's house, there's many rooms and there's plenty of room for everybody. All of you are going to have a place there and you know how to get there. And Thomas says, no, no, I, I don't. I don't know how to get there. Thomas believes that Jesus is going somewhere to prepare a place. So he's got faith in that. I know you're going somewhere. You, you've told us this. I know you're going somewhere. I'm just not sure that you've prepared us to get there. And so it's, it's faith with his mouth. But, but honestly, he's, he's, he's living over here in doubt. And, and all of this double-mindedness comes to a crescendo in John chapter 20, which is where we're going to be reading today, after Jesus has been resurrected from the dead, from all indications, this is the actual resurrection day. This is the first Easter. And so on that resurrection day, Jesus has appeared to probably around 20 different people by now. And they're all talking about it. They're all talking about, man, Jesus, his, his, his prophecy came to pass. He's alive. Just like he said after three days. He lives. And so uh, they're all talking about it. But, but Thomas has not seen him yet. Probably all of the other disciples, they've seen Jesus. But Thomas has not yet been able to see him. And this is the passage that gives Thomas the nickname, Doubting Thomas. And so I want to read from John chapter 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, but he said to them, Unless I see his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my, see my hands and put, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not, do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's where Thomas gets the nickname, Doubting Thomas. From that instance right there, he gets the name Doubting Thomas. Nobody ever sees the other moments where he did have some faith. I mean, maybe I interpreted it wrong. Maybe, maybe he did think they could go to Judea and, and they would be okay. And he's looking at the other disciples and like, you know, hey, let's go with him. If he dies, we'll die. But guys, I think we're going to be okay. You know, maybe, maybe he said something like that. Maybe there were moments of of great faith in his life. I know that he trusted Jesus enough to follow him. I know that he, he, he saw the wonderful miracles that were taking place and the lives that were being changed. I know all that, but Doubting Thomas is the name from this passage right here that he is given. But that was a name that, that was given to him after the Bible was written. It's, it's like some scholar one day, some guy much smarter than I am, decided one day he was going to put you know, a little subheading on there and call him Doubting Thomas. And so now we all call him Doubting Thomas. But there was another nickname that he had among the disciples. And, and the English Standard Version 
It it's, calls him the twin, or just twin. That, that's what he was known by. That, that's what they called him, twin. In the Greek, it's the word didymus. And so instead of saying, hey, Thomas, come here, you know, they were like, hey, T. Diddy, come here. That's a horrible joke. You shouldn't laugh at something like that. The Greek word didymus here, didymus means double, two, or twin. It, it's unclear on whether or not Thomas actually was a twin. It, 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 it's probably highly unlikely that he was because that's just a little odd to refer to him as twin, especially if the other one's not around. It would just seem kind of strange. Oh, you know, hey, twin, come here, you know, and that's the name that they gave him, Didymus, twin. When Mandy was expecting Caleb and Kendall, I remember when they would do the sonograms and they would give us a, a, a printout of it, they would label Kendall twin A and they would label Caleb twin B just because of, of their uh, uh, location of where they were at, twin A and twin B. And, and so when they were born, we didn't want to keep calling them twin A and twin B. It's just weird, isn't it? It's just, yeah. So we actually named them, you know, moron and doofus. And they just go by those names. No, no, just kidding. Just kidding. Sometimes I'm just kidding. Some scholars, some scholars believe that Thomas was called twin because he looked a lot like Jesus. There are some late second and early third century writings that suggest that Thomas strongly resembled Christ. And, and that can make sense because we've often referred to the, the smaller versions of ourselves as mini-me's. You know, you, you've seen this before. I, um, yesterday was our 22nd wedding anniversary. I've been married to Mandy for 22 years. Yep. And she's been married to me for 22 years. And so I put this picture up on social media, and uh, it was of Mandy and I 22 years ago. It was actually like an engagement picture that I, that I put up. And um, uh, a few people have come to me saying that, uh, he said, when I looked at that picture, it looked like Caleb. And I thought, ah, oh, he's a good-looking kid, you know. That's... <laughs> I don't mind that. don't mind that at all. Is it possible that Thomas could have been Christ's mini-me? You know, that maybe he resembled him enough to where they said, man, you guys are like twins. And so when they, when they referred to him, they're like, you know, Didymus, twin, hey. I'm not here to convince you of that. I don't even know if I buy into it, to be honest, but... Don't we all share a resemblance of Christ? Or at least we should. I mean, we call ourselves Christians. Christ and Christians. And so we bear his name, so we should resemble him somewhat. And, and I don't know about you, but, but there are times when I think I look a lot like him but I don't act a lot like him. There's times when I think I look like him, but I don't believe like he did. Because Jesus just had this crazy faith. If a guy was blind, he would spit 
into the dirt, make mud and rub it in the guy's eye and believe that the guy was going to be healed. If I do that, everybody thinks I've lost my mind and I'm telling you, I'm sweating. I'm sweating till this guy rinses his eyes and, and, you know, and I still don't believe it. I still, I'm just like, you're, you're just going to be blind with mud in your eye. Yeah. When Jesus looked at guys, like the guy b b beside the pool of Bethesda, and he says, rise, take up your mat and walk. Jesus believed that that guy was going to stand up, take up his mat, and walk away from there. I don't have that kind of faith. When Peter cut off a guy's ear, Jesus reaches down, picks the guy's ear up, and slaps it back on the side of his head. It was like he knew it was going to happen. And he said even greater things you're going to do. I have a skin tag right here. I can't even pray that thing off. How? How? Do I call myself a Christian, but yet I don't even have the even an ounce of the faith that Christ had sometimes. And I'll, I'll tell you why we're in this boat is because we're Didymus. We're two. We're double. We're double-minded. I talk a good game, but I don't always walk it out. I talk about faith, but I don't always pray with faith believing. I'm a Christian in my values, but not in my faith. And James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 really, really just squares off and just, just nails us. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all that they do. Some versions of the Bible say a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. In the 19th century, the greatest tightrope walker in the world was a man by the name of Charles Blondin. On June 30th, 1859, he became the first man in history to walk on a tightrope across Niagara Falls. And over 25,000 people gathered around to watch him walk 1,100 feet across Niagara Falls, suspended in air on this tiny rope 160 feet up above the raging waters. He worked without a safety net. He did not have any type of safety harness. And the slightest slip would prove fatal. He, he would die. When he safely reached the Canadian side, as you can imagine, the, the crowd, they burst into this roar, applauding him, celebrating what he just did. As crazy as it was, it was impressive. And in the days that followed, he would walk across the falls many times. Just a few days later, he walked across on stilts. Another time, he took a stove with him, and midway across, they say he stopped, cooked an omelet, and ate it. 
Once he carried his manager piggyback across the tightrope, across the falls, on, on his back, carried the manager. That's crazy. I feel like the manager was forced to do that, you know. <laughs> on July 15th, 1859, Blondin walked backwards on the tightrope to the Canadian border. And when he returned, he was blindfolded, pushing a wheelbarrow. When he got back to the U.S. side, Blondin asked for some audience participation. And he had proven that he could do it. Of that, there was absolutely no doubt at all. And he asked his audience this question. He said, do you believe I can carry a person across in this wheelbarrow? And the crowd shouted, yes! Yes, we believe, yes! Because everyone is expecting his manager is going to get back in there. And, and then he posed this question. Then who will volunteer and get into the wheelbarrow? And as you can imagine, nobody did. Is that not the way that we treat God sometimes? God, I believe that you're big enough to walk this tightrope. You can do this, God. You're skilled enough. You're divine enough. You can, you can walk the tightrope. God, I even believe that you can carry some heavy things while you do it. But I just don't believe, God, that you can carry me. And this is that double-minded doubt, unreasonable doubt that we carry sometimes in our lives. You see, I'm convinced it wasn't that Thomas didn't want to believe. Like us, Thomas wanted to believe. He was ready to believe. He was glad to believe when the proof was sufficient enough to convince him. That's not faith. That's doubt. And if you produce enough evidence, then I'll believe. Thomas wanted to believe. He just wanted to believe on his own terms. And sometimes that's the way I am. God, I, I believe you, but you've got to do this, this, and this. And if you do that, then I will believe you. I must see the scars in your hands. I've got to see that, 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 that spot in your side. Unless I put my hands there, which is all a little weird if you think about it. But, but unless I can touch those things, I, I, don't, I don't want it. I don't want to believe that. But, but if, if you can get everything to line up just right, then I'll believe. And faith, it beckons us to believe even without visual proof. But there's a blessing to faith. There's always a blessing to faith. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 29 in his response. Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that promise traveled from that locked room that Jesus stepped into and, and showed his scars to Thomas so that he would believe. That promise echoed out of the room. And for hundreds of and even a couple of thousand years, it has landed upon our ears that blessed are those who even though they haven't seen him, they believe. That's 
that's where I want to be. That's where I want to get to. I just want to have that kind of faith that I don't have to see it, to believe it. As a matter of fact, if seeing is believing, maybe so, maybe that's right. Seeing is believing. Believing has nothing to do with seeing at all. Thought about this. 22 years ago yesterday, I stood in the hallway off the side of the Lake City Church of God, first wedding in that new church. And I remember somebody coming to me and they told me, they said, Rocky, there's like, like 500 people here. And I thought to myself, what if Mandy doesn't show up? I, I'm serious, I thought that. What if she doesn't show up? I mean, I've met her dad and he might try and talk her out of it. He's evil. And then I knew. Something right here just made me believe. No. She's back there. She's behind those two wooden doors. And when they swing open, she's going to be standing there all dressed in white. And I followed my dad, the pastor, up onto the stage. Just stood there waiting for the doors to open. And they did. And she was there. If I can put that much faith in her, why can't I put that much faith in him? He's going to be there. He's going to be there. Circumstances are tough. He's there. Life isn't fair. He's there. The world is presenting all kinds of unreasonable doubt. And he's still there. He's not, he's not scared of, of that. And even in all of my double-mindedness, he says, Rocky, I'm still here. And when you're ready to trust me, I'll be here. That's God. That's what he is. Thomas, you believe because you finally saw me. Blessed are those who believe and they still haven't seen me. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.